Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. If you like what we're doing, please support our efforts by joining our patron community and perhaps by sponsoring a podcast episode. For more details, visit our website or reach out via email. For this episode, we'd like to thank Ian Robertson and his family for joining our patron circle and regularly supporting our mission in this podcast. It's obvious we love artists. We work very hard to see artists in the church supported and encouraged. But does every aspiring artist automatically deserve support? Are there some people aspiring to the arts that should be discouraged from these aspirations? Yikes. In this episode, we ask the difficult but important question, are you called to be an artist? So, I guess at the beginning, you'd have to ask, what exactly is a calling to the arts? Is it a legitimate calling? Mm-hmm. Um, some that One of the major attitudes, and it, it, it may just be an implicit attitude. It's not always made terribly explicit. Uh, but I, I see it in the church a lot. And it's this attitude that the arts are not really a calling. They're more like a hobby. Right. I mean, over and over and over and over again, I can't even tell you how many times... I have heard from artists who are basically told by people in the church, you know, it's all fine and good if you can make money making art, Mm -hmm. but if you can't make money doing it for whatever reason, then just view it as a hobby and get a real job. Like, that's the the attitude. It's like, you need to find a real calling Mm because this isn't even legitimate. But you certainly wouldn't apply that um, set of criteria to other callings, like the calling of pastor. You wouldn't say, the calling of pastor might be good if you can get a job immediately of a pastor of a church that could completely support you, but until then, you should just consider it as nothing more than a hobby. Obviously, it's a calling. Hopefully, eventually, you're supported in that, but it's a calling the entire time. Right, and I guess the most important thing about this is, is it in fact your calling from God? Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so there is there is a problem, and you see this problem, where a person might believe that they're being called to do something, mm-hmm. but does that always necessarily mean? Does that always necessarily mean they are in fact called by God to do something? And that is the rub. Yeah, right. And so, for, so first off, just getting this out of the way, mm-hmm. there is actually legitimate callings in the Bible of artists. Yeah, we see that uh, it's actually the first mention of someone being filled with this, with the Spirit in the Bible, uh, which is the craftsmen that God calls to build the tabernacle. Mm-hmm. And uh, he calls them by name, mm-hmm. fills them with the Spirit for the work at hand, and that's um, Aholiab and, uh, Bezalel. and Bezalel. So, uh, obviously, we wouldn't argue that um, that, that, I mean, quite literally, that was a calling to a the literal arts. calling. Yeah. <laughs> By God. To the yeah. arts. Yeah. For uh, the church. So, there's certainly biblical precedent uh, in, for a calling to the arts for the sake of the church. 
the prophets, we even just had the episode, The Art of Prophecy, uh, prophets were oftentimes called uh, to their mission of prophecy, which a lot of times was a creative expression of God's truth to the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are at least two examples right off the bat where you have a legitimate calling of people to the arts. Right, and, and I mean, people might argue about the continuing validity of such a calling uh, in terms of the scriptural canon or anything like that. I've heard all sorts of arguments uh, concerning that, but let's just set that question aside for a moment Mm -hmm. and just consider the fact that there are people in the church who are pursuing Jesus Mm -hmm. and who have the spirit and who believe quite strongly that God has given them direction Mm -hmm. that they must pursue this particular uh, avenue, this particular ministry and they 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 feel like they can't do anything other than that like they 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 feel as if they think they would be disobedient to god if they didn't do this mm-hmm. now it's hard for me you know to decide on this argument concerning you know the the canon or whatever uh, and then just basically set aside this the significant and serious concerns of these people mm-hmm. who are in the church who as far as I can tell, are pursuing Jesus like I'm pursuing him and have this burden placed on them seemingly from God. Yeah, and by, by the canon argument, you mean you mean the idea that God doesn't directly call people anymore to, to add the to scripture or to have prophecy or something like that. Right, well, a lot of people have said that the, um, that the arts were basically a shadow mm-hmm. of the proclamation and that when the when the complete has come with Jesus that after Jesus you mostly see people being called to a public ministry of preaching mm-hmm. verbally yeah well even in the new testament we're called to sing songs and hymns and spiritual psalms somebody's got to write and hymns those. and spiritual songs <laughs> someone's got to write that someone's got to perform it mm-hmm. um uh even with that aside do you consume music art poetry, literature. If you do, then the assumption is someone's called to make that in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if it's a legitimate uh, thing to be made, why would Christians be necessarily excluded from making it? Right. All that to say, we firmly believe it's a legitimate calling and that it's one that the church needs to um, start recognizing more. And I think it already is, which has been really encouraging to see. But we want to encourage um, Christians at large in the church in general to continue to to grow in our understanding of a calling to the arts as a legitimate calling, worthy of support, worthy of encouragement, worthy of attention, and worthy of resource. Mm-hmm. Um, that brings us to the question, how do you know if you are called to be an artist or um, even as a patron or a pastor or someone who sees someone else who says they're called to be an artist, how can you determine if someone in general is called to be an artist? And um, it's important to cover this because we talk so much about supporting artists and we're so gung-ho to do that, but um, we can't do it in a blind manner. It's not a matter of anybody who feels like doing being in the arts is like, ooh, that sounds fun. That mm-hmm. sounds like something I want to do. It's mm-hmm. like, sure, take the church's resources, take our resources, let's invest in that. That's not really what we're trying to say at all. Uh, I think that um, the, the 
creative revival that we do see in the church is only going to have lasting power if we are uh, diligent and um, if we treat it with discernment and Mm -hmm. invest in artists with um, care. Right. And that that requires that there be an assessment of artists that is both a self-assessment and a church-wide assessment Mm -hmm. in terms of whether or not their calling is actually legitimate. Mm Mm-hmm. So that, you know, brings us to some questions. First off, is there such a thing as a a burden that you might feel for a particular calling that isn't legitimate? Mm-hmm. And I think yes, and that's probably the majority of what you see actually. Mm-hmm. Even in terms of people who believe that they're called to pastoral ministry to preach sermons. And, you know, they they go to seminary and in the midst of this, they have a burden, they have a desire, they really feel like, you know, I want to do this. But then in the midst of their preparation, either issues of character, or issues of skill or issues of spirit end up discouraging them from that path. And, and actually that discouragement, though it hurts, is really good. Because if you're not called to something, then telling you that you're not called to something isn't a disservice to you. It's actually the most helpful thing that can be done to you and to the community that you're trying to to serve. Right, because everybody does have a legitimate calling to something. Right. And if you're not legitimately called to one thing, it means you're legitimately called to something else. And as long as you're pursuing the thing you're not called to do, you're living in that time in disservice to the church, right. in disobedience to God, and actually in, in disservice to yourself. And so, I think it's really important, actually, and a lot of people who come to uh, Renew the Arts and they bring their work and they, you know, ask for assessments and such, we're not afraid to give pretty critical feedback mm-hmm. um, because we think that if you are, in fact, called to any calling, um, you're going to have to overcome that discouragement. It's going to have to be a, a pressure, a burden from God that is so great that it will overcome uh, those discouragements. And so, usually how we uh, discern, and, and this is actually very uh, helpful for the podcast in general, in terms of the way that we talk about the arts and the way we talk about artists. We've, we've mentioned it before. We mentioned it in the uh, Art of Prophecy podcast, but we're going to take a little bit of time and unpack what we mean by craft and vision. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of a calling to the arts, I believe that there are two distinct callings to the arts. Uh, sometimes they have overlap, but, mm-hmm. but they are very definitely distinct callings to the arts. One of them is in the realm of craft, and one of them is in the realm of vision. And you can see it from the beginning mm-hmm. with Bezalel and Oholiab. Bezalel was the visionary. He was the one who was given basically pretty great freedom to execute all of the plans that had been given through Moses by God for the tabernacle. And his skill and wisdom and insight was necessary in order to make those plans a reality. Right. But he wasn't necessarily the one who was, you know, hammer in hand, hammering out every piece of metal, sewing every piece of tapestry. It, it was all under his direction or under his care as mm-hmm. the visionary of the project. Mm-hmm. But Aholiab was actually the manager of the craftsmen. So there were artisans. There were skilled artisans. They had learned a craft. They had techniques. They were able to sew. They were able to weave. They were able to hammer out metal, form metal, carve wood, um, make all the things that needed to be made, all the implements. They were, so, so you have the pattern from God 
through the vision of Bezalel under the management of Aholiab's artisans. Mm -hmm. And so, those two men who were called, both were called by name and both had a legitimate calling. And you can see in that this distinction that even God is making in this calling between craft and vision. So, now we need to determine, uh, is your calling or the calling of the person that you're considering um, primarily or exclusively a calling of vision or a calling of craft. Right. So, and this is a really difficult issue for mm-hmm. a lot of people. And um, and we'll talk, I think, at great length, I hope, about why it's so difficult. But, um, but basically, vision is ideas. Mm-hmm. So, there are artists who are ideas artists, meaning that they have concepts and philosophies and stories and relationships that they want to convey. And they're very good at clearly seeing what an audience needs to hear and how they need to hear it. Now, that's vision. The craft that's involved in that is a learned skill. Mm-hmm. Like I, pretty much literally anyone can learn how to do it. If you, if you talk about sculpture... You can go and study under a master uh, sculptor, and you can learn the techniques of how to sculpt, how to hold the chisel, how to hit the hammer, how to you know sand it down, how to you know all the techniques, all the craft that's involved in that. And if you do it for long enough, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, you can become a master. Mm-hmm. You can become a master in that particular craft. Now, does that mean you're going to have ideas, really great ideas, about what sculptures need to be made for what audiences? No. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I would say that it probably is going... If your capability of your craft increases, then I expect your capability to communicate good ideas when they do come to you is going to be much more fluid. Mm. And so... That's true. It does lend itself no, to vision. But for it's sure. not... Um, and most visionaries do learn craft for that very reason, mm-hmm. so that when an idea does come to them, they can execute that idea, you know, accurately, well. I mean, it's kind of like uh, if you talk about the idea of a an article or the idea of an essay, and then the actual paragraphing, sentence structure, word usage, sent, you know, syntax and punctuation that's involved in actually communicating that idea in that medium. Mm-hmm. You can learn all the skills of proper grammar. All the skills of good communication and rhetoric and organizing uh, a, 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 you know, communication. But the idea that's at the head of that, the idea that you think people need to hear, um, is not necessarily going to come to every person who knows how to write. Right. You can, but that's why there's this necessity within the church for craftsmen and visionaries to work together. Because there are a lot of craftsmen in the church that don't have any vision. And there are a lot of visionaries in the church whose craft is pretty slim. Mm -hmm. Uh, We experience this all the time. We'll have people who come in here and let's say in the realm of of music, uh, I think your oldest brother, Mm -hmm. you know, falls into this category where is he a good guitarist? Is he a talented craftsman of the guitar? Mm -hmm. Um, Not really. Was he a really talented singer? Right, mm, not really, and we've compared that to Bob Dylan. Right. Bob Dylan wasn't a particularly good guitarist, right? And his voice still is not that hampers great. people from listening mm-hmm. to him. But uh, he's a great songwriter, and he had really good he ideas, had incredible vision. Yeah, and so you can see, okay, well, that's a visionary who doesn't necessarily have a lot of craft. So what does he need to surround himself with? Well, first off, he might need to pursue some craft. You know, practice his guitar, get some voice lessons, maybe. But maybe he needs to. 
find himself in community with craftsmen right. who are able to better execute his ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an interesting thing on uh, on our project, Death is Their Shepherd, for the illustrations. Uh, I have a friend who is a brilliant visionary artist, but he's never had education. He's never had training. He has really good ideas, but he doesn't really finish. He doesn't mm-hmm. finish. He doesn't execute very well. So I was able to get him together with Rusty, who does have training and does have craft um, and has you know, spent years honing that craft and working together, we were able to get something better mm-hmm. than either of them would have been able to do on their own mm-hmm. because we had these great visionary ideas from the one artist and then an execution of them in good craft. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think there's a problem there, though, because... And I actually dealt with this with Rusty. I mean, I don't think he'll even have a problem with me talking mm-hmm. about this because it's important. Um, for a long time, he resented the fact that God had not given him these, you know, extraordinary and insightful ideas in mm-hmm. the arts. And he almost bucked against the position that God had given him as a talented craftsman, mm-hmm. as an artisan. He wanted to be the Bezalel. He didn't want to be the Aholiab. Right. And you find that over and over again, actually, um, when you're in the church for a long enough period of time. Actually, it's not even just in the arts. This is in a lot of different areas yeah. where everybody wants to be like the go-to ideas man, the well-respected man, the one who is wise, the one who is the the elder of, of ideas that everybody, you know, everybody goes to to listen to. They don't want to be submitted in service to the vision of somebody else, mm-hmm. usually, because there's not a lot of prestige. There's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of, of, of personal self-valuing in, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really difficult thing, because most of the time what we have found with artists who might even be decent craftsmen but don't have great vision is they want to be seen as visionaries, and they sort of have a pretense of visionary by, of a visionary by copying mm-hmm. or by imitating, but but God hasn't really given them something that is unique, an idea that is necessarily unique. And oftentimes, the best thing they can do is recognize that the calling to craft is a legitimate calling, mm-hmm. and they need to join themselves to people who do have great ideas and actually serve those people in that vision. So let's talk about how someone can self-assess or how someone can assess someone else who says they're called to the arts or wonders if they're called to the arts and uh, try to get practical here on uh, here's some things you can do to determine, um, yeah, if, if this is a true calling of, you know, a true calling to the arts. Um, I think the first thing you got to determine your own skill set. Right, and kind of, kind of feel out. Would you? Would this be a visionary calling, or would this be a craft calling? That's right. And don't don't reject a calling to the craft mm-hmm. merely because it doesn't have the same prestige. Like, recognize what God has given you. And actually, a great example would be you and Phil. Yeah. Uh, Phil Hodges is a classically trained guitarist. He is proficient in this instrument. He um, is great at uh, musical composition. But whenever faced with trying to write toward a certain theme or within a certain project, he doesn't have self-admittedly. You know, he says this a lot in, when talking about the collaboration with Michael, and he says, "I don't have. Uh, I need to be given marching orders to some degree so that I can compose toward that." Right. Um, 
And there's different... Or there's even different, or it, even yeah. compose, and then the vision is brought to the table, which exactly. is a lot of times what happens whenever he first composes a piece, but then you bring it in and tie different uh, compositions together with a vision, which is like a post-composition vision weaving. Right, and, yeah. Um, it's like visionary editing or whatever, yeah. And that, that partnership, that collaboration has been really fruitful, mm-hmm. and y'all have really enjoyed it. Um, Cause I can't write music like he writes, mm-hmm. but he, he doesn't have the same ideas that I have. I mean, when he first started bringing me his songs, he was, um, he was putting words on them that basically didn't make sense. They were just placeholders for his beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. And, and he knew he was like, I don't, these words really don't mean very much. Mm-hmm. And I would take those exact same melodies and contribute different words. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden these songs are being brought to life and actually become meaningful in a way that they weren't before. Mm-hmm. Same melody, same craft of music, same compositions. Yeah, yeah so... you. But, so, so try to determine which, which of these you are. There's yeah. a chance that you're both. Right, and there are some. The, the greatest artists who have ever lived... Are, are definitely are, both. Are both. Like, you look at Michelangelo, mm-hmm. and he was obviously an absolute genius when it came to the visual arts, and his craft matched his vision. Right. Um, he and, and when I say vision, I mean, I'm talking down to the level of marble itself. He mm-hmm. went and worked with the quarries mm-hmm. and learned how to quarry marble and learned about different types of marble and what the material uh, was able to bear mm-hmm. in different types of marble and from different cuts and all of this kind of stuff. And when he made uh, David, Michelangelo's David, was probably one of the most famous sculptures of all time. He, he, he famously said, I merely removed what wasn't David. Mm-hmm. So he saw in the piece of marble the statue that was in it, mm-hmm. that was contained by it. So like that vision matched with his absolutely well-honed decades-long pursuit, even of just marble itself, like the right. knowledge of marble and how to cut it, uh, joined together to make this exquisite piece of work. But that's going to be relatively rare. Very rare. Especially if you're asking yourself this question, mm-hmm. am I called to the arts? Then uh, you're probably going to fall to one side or the other, at least as a dominant hand. Totally. And um, determining that and then asking yourself, yourself questions uh, concerning that. So, um, yeah, first determine which side you would fall. We actually put together some just some practical tips mm-hmm. on, on trying to, to tease this out in your own mind. So... Um, one of the things you can do to determine whether this calling is true is to seek out skilled visionaries and craftsmen and compare your work to theirs. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one, so you would obviously be comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges, comparing your vision to other vision, uh, other visions of other artists, or uh, comparing your craft to other craftsmen's work. Um, and let me recommend with this, I'm not necessarily talking about living artists. Sometimes the best comparisons are made to artists who are no longer living, whose work has stood the test of time. Um, That's a really massively important part of this Mm -hmm. Um, because it's hard to determine sometimes what is really good work. I mean, if you're a a worship songwriter Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, I'm just going to compare my work to, say, uh, whoever is selling in worship right now, Mm -hmm. well, that might not be the greatest of... uh, of, uh, of comparisons, mm-hmm. because what if a hundred years from now people look back at the worship songs that are popular now and say these were were vapid and empty? Mm-hmm. Now that might not happen. But the real thing is, I can tell you this: that the Psalms—that's mm-hmm. a better, 
That's a better comparison, obviously, because God himself put a stamp of approval on those. And if you're, and, and if the ideas that you're having or the craft of writing them does not match at least that same spirit and that same uh, diligence, well, then that's a problem. Um, now, well, what if someone's just getting started out or what if they're just young? Uh, seek out honest critique. I'm saying in this comparison. Oh, okay. Well, in those terms, I would say that's something to aim for and see see what you can do. So you're not comparing this and expecting to be like, yeah, yeah, that's where. Right. You're not going to be there immediately. And in fact, uh, a lot of the problems that we see with a lot of artists is this, is this desire to be there immediately rather than really putting in the time and the effort it takes. I mean, if you want to be a skilled craftsman, you have to put in thousands so, of hours. Yeah, so it's not necessarily right off the bat comparing your work to theirs to see if there's similarity, but comparing your work to theirs to see how much growth there is and whether you're up to task. Mm -hmm. Exactly, kind of counting the cost. Right. Especially if you're a young artist, you do need to count the cost. If you want to be successful in God's terms in this, you're going to have to put in the hours mm -hmm. and you're gonna have to put in the, the sweat equity. Um, and, and actually studying the lives of artists who did great things is helpful in those terms as well. What right. kind of sacrifices did they make? What, what kind of uh, you know, work ethic did they have? You have people like uh, Wynton Marsalis on the trumpet, who's just absolutely, I mean, obviously one of the greats of mm -hmm. our time uh, in terms of craft and vision, actually. Mm -hmm. um, one of the only people that has won a Grammy in, in, in both jazz and classical trumpet. Um, and he says that his work day looks a lot like anyone else's. Mm -hmm. he, he apparently practices between six and eight hours every day still, and mm -hmm. he's at the top of his game. Mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, this is a man who has dedicated his life uh, to this particular thing, and that's what it takes to, to, you know, to, to actually get there. Now, yeah, and that was actually one of the, the, one of the next tips or you know, practical ideas is, are you willing to diligently pursue this? Are you willing... Um, I think, I think a lot of times people romanticize a calling to the artist, and it's like, hey, that's, that looks free-form, free-flowing, mm -hmm. like a bohemian lifestyle mm -hmm. of uh, inspiration and aesthetic. Um, but most of the time, if you're going to pursue a calling to the arts, you have to say, am I willing to diligently pursue this to the point where I am going to get 10,000 hours under my belt? Mm -hmm. And I and and I can actually have the determination, diligence, and habit to pursue this calling as any other true calling. Like yeah. this isn't a calling of inspiration per se. This isn't a calling of um, just throwing something up when the muse strikes you. Mm -hmm. uh, nine times out of 10 or 9.9 .9 times out of 10, this is a calling of diligence and hard work and practicing your instrument or practicing your craft or mm -hmm. honing whatever it is that you have in your hand to the point where uh, you're able to make something truly worthwhile. Um, and, so, and I will say too, for the visionary artists out there or the people who consider themselves more in that realm, mm -hmm. learning craft is never going to crush legitimate vision. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of people say, if I get education or if I get training or if I work through this, I'm, I'm going to get ruined by other people's approaches. And I remember there was a music teacher who said once uh, in response to a woman who said, I don't want to send my young boy off to music school because he is a brilliant musician and I feel like school will ruin him. Mm -hmm. And the teacher replied, yes, schooling will ruin a mediocre talent. 
but it's necessary for the development of a great one. Right. And Flannery O'Connor actually, even more harshly, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I'm, we might have already quoted this, but I love it. Uh, she, uh, people said, are too many writers being schooled and losing their individual voice or losing mm-hmm. uh, or uh, missing out on real life studies where they can actually be inspired and mm-hmm. um, instead they're, you know, studying and it's crushing the the artistic voice. Mm-hmm. And she said, uh, to the contrary, uh, not enough writers go to school for if more writers go to school, most of them would give up. Right. And yeah. that would be a good thing. <laughs> right. And she's like said, survey the writers and the, the literature that we have available to us right now. And you can quickly see it, that it would be a good thing if most, most of these of people went to school and gave up. Right. No, Which and is I think really harsh. It is. That's really harsh. And Flannery O'Connor is like a master of being harsh. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know if I would ever pin it that way, but I think she's right. I think I, that, I have, uh, I have, I have said it in just that way. It's like, yeah. if you can be discouraged from the arts, you should be from the arts. You should be. Yeah. Um, and that's that leads me to this idea of, of actually seeking out honest and helpful critique. It feels good when you do something and people say, ooh, that's really good. That's really great. That's great. I hate that response. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that it's from a good motive, and I know that people are just trying to be encouraging. I get that. But if all you can tell me about something that I've done is that it's good, then I can't grow. Mm-hmm. I can't improve. If it is just really good... Try to find reasons to say that. Yeah, exactly. Like, give, give, like, I think this was really good because I thought it was structured really well, or I really liked that particular guitar part, or I thought that your use of colors in this composition was particularly striking, or, yeah. you know, these and, kinds of and things. And this is actually a really important point for people that aren't called to be artists. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're listening and you're like, ah, I'm not really called to be an artist, if you're, a, you can still help in this way. Because if you are ever called upon to assess something, if someone, hey, did you hear the song I wrote or, you know, look at this thing I made or whatever, if you're asked for critique, if the only answer you give is that's pretty good, and if the reason behind that is to avoid confrontation mm-hmm. or to just... you actually think it isn't very good? Or just to be nice mm-hmm. or, um, or to avoid <laughs> an uncomfortable situation, don't do that. Mm-hmm. As often as possible, if you have the ability to give constructive criticism, do you it. really, really need to do it. Now, do it graciously as much as you can. But honestly, like I said, if a person could be discouraged from the arts, if he could be, then he, he should be. be. Yeah. Then he should be. So if you're hearing a song from somebody and you're just like, this is really, truly a terrible song. This mm-hmm. is not well made. This is insipid in every possible way. I hate this. Don't just say, oh, that's pretty good or good effort or whatever. Like, do give feedback. Now, be gracious about it. But seriously, if that person should be discouraged, mm-hmm. then do it. Mm-hmm. Like, do it. Like, so, save them from years of pursuing this, you know, delusional aspiration. <laughs> so, if you're an artist, then the best thing you can do or on this point is to seek out people that you respect particularly people with taste, mm-hmm. and demand an honest critique. Yeah, or at least ask for one and say, look, I'm telling you, I want an honest critique. Exactly. I want feedback that's truly, truly, truly brutally honest. Be as brutal as you possibly can. That's what I mean by demand. Don't, yeah, yeah. 
Don't tie them um, down. And then, but also <laughs> from other them. artists, even if you find artists around you who aren't necessarily making timeless art, they're usually going to be a whole lot more insightful concerning the value of your art than they are even about their own. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard. You're blind to your own work because you made it. Yeah. You know, and it's like the love you have for your own kids. You're you're not going to sit there and, and see your kids the way that outsiders will. But outsiders will see your kids in a more accurate way, even if their own kids are ugly. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. <laughs> so so ask for artists around you for and and again ask for brutal critique and take it. And this this is really I think the central problem with all of this mm-hmm. is that there is a huge amount of pride involved in that this actually, whole process. That actually leads to the last tip, and right. this, is, this is my main one. This is the main one. This is, yeah. Uh, ask yourself, what are your motives in this calling? Mm-hmm. And you have to be really honest with yourself, and it can be hard to be really honest with yourself. Well, ask God to search you, too. Yeah. Like, beg God, and pray, get on your knees that. and say, please, sift me, yeah. search me out, and if there's any unclean thing in me, remove it. So, ask yourself what your motives are for a potential calling to the arts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is it for prestige? Is it for popularity? Is it for many people's eyes to be on you? Is it for finances? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, wow, these musicians make a lot of money. If I could just get to the top there. (laughs) That's a terrible idea, by the way, because that's probably not going to happen. It's the 1%. (laughs) But... uh, um, even less, but yeah, yeah. Look, there are all kinds of false motives, you know, a whole laundry list of false motives. Um, but I think it's true for any calling, mm-hmm. uh, any calling to anything can be done with bad motives. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but the calling of artists in particular, there's a lot of vainglory, certain involved. allure, mm-hmm. yeah, and vainglory and, um, yeah, prestige or just eyes. Mm-hmm. Eyes on your work. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I would say, be very uh, honest with yourself and why you're pursuing a calling to the arts. And uh, I would say that your calling to the arts should primarily be two things. The first one should be to serve the Lord. Um, if your calling to the arts is not anything else other than to glorify God primarily then you should check you should check on that. Mm-hmm. And then secondarily, is your calling to the arts for the good of your fellow man? Are you making yourself, like Jesus constantly says, a servant to other people? Right. And are you serving them? Um, so if your motivation is to glorify the Lord and serve the Lord and to serve your fellow man and to build them up, then you can, I would say that that's a great place to start. And if you're somewhere else other than that, you should probably reorient. Agreed. So, beginning from that motive, go through some of these processes, receive helpful feedback. If you can be discouraged from it, then go ahead and be discouraged from it. If you can't, though, if you keep on coming back to it and you keep on pursuing it, no matter the discouragements, no matter the troubles, and that heart to glorify God and to serve people continues to grow and you continue to bear fruit in those areas and the arts, well, then just keep on keeping on and know that that is a legitimate calling. And for those of you in the church, who are not called to the arts, if you see a person doing this Mm -hmm. in your midst, 
for 10, 15, 20 years they've been pursuing this and they have not been supported and they have not been encouraged, but they continue to grow and they continue to produce mm-hmm. and they continue to desire to serve you and they continue to desire to glorify God in this, you need to get on it. You need to get on it. It's a bad thing in the church. We have abandoned most of these people mm-hmm. um, and we need to support them and encourage them. And honestly, one of the first things you can do is just receive their work, just receive it. And I don't mean just receive it in, in, in passive manner. I'm saying actually give them feedback. Yeah. Start listening critically, start mm-hmm. listening analytically or, or receiving or, or watching analytically and saying, um, you know, how can I bless this person in their journey to becoming a greater visionary or a greater craftsman? Right. Um, they've shown the commitment to discipline themselves against great odds and great hardship to continue in this process over all these years in mm-hmm. our midst, and we've seen them doing it. Um, how can we bless them? And that's what we're here for as well. Uh, if, if you're having trouble finding people to give you a solid feedback or solid critique, send your stuff our way. Like, this is the mission of Renew the Arts, and um, we'd be happy to, to help you um, work through some of these things. Mm-hmm. Or if you are uh, seeing someone else being called to the arts and you're wondering how you can help them, reach out to us. Uh, that's something we'd be happy to, to help, help you with. Um, so anyway, I think that that's about a wrap. I will uh, let you all know that we're approaching the end of our second season, and we want to start doing something new. Uh, the last episode of every season, we want to do... A mailbag. A mailbag episode, which basically means any response and feedback, questions, concerns, retaliations, vitriol. What? <laughs> Anger. Uh, send them our way, and Violence, uh, we, would, we really want to respond to all the death threats. Um, send, uh, send any questions, uh, notes, our way. We want to cover them. We want to hear from you, and we want to address it um, as much of the relevant ones as we can on the final episode of the season. So... Uh, reach out. You can email me, justice, J-U-S-T-U-S, at renewthearts.org. If that's too hard to remember, you can also shoot it to hello, H-E-L-L-O, at renewthearts.org, and we'd be happy to try to include that in our final episode. To close out this episode, we're going to play Songs for Friends off of Songs for Friends. Uh... (laughs) By Songs for Friends. Brought to you by Songs for Friends. Now, uh, from Physics, first record, uh, Songs for Friends. That's, we talked about... We talked about me and, and Phil, yeah. So this is, this is Phil Hodges and my collaboration. Now, the other thing that's interesting about this is this is not my favorite song that we've ever worked on. In fact, I probably don't like this song very much at this point in mm-hmm. my life. I hope it's edifying to you, but I, wanna, I, I wanted to, to present it because this was one of the first things that we worked on together. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the progression of our collaboration over time, it has improved and it has grown both in craft and in vision. And a lot of that had to do with the support that we received here at Renew the Arts from both the resources to continue working, Mm -hmm. but also the feedback that we received regularly from the other artists and the other patrons who were involved in this this, uh, venture. So uh, listen to it. If you're like, hmm, this sounds like it's not the best recorded or best written song I've ever heard. Well, you're in good company with me uh, on that. (laughs) Uh, But I still do think that it is edifying. And one of the things that I've learned over time is you just got to let these things go sometimes. So... (laughs) <laughs> also, I, I suggested this song, actually, uh, because I like how it covers that 
thing that we talked about with collaboration, but also in the content of the song, um, they discuss, it's the intro to a full album and they discuss why they're writing the songs and they talk about um, building up each other and uh, glorifying the Lord. So I thought that that was appropriate. So Agreed. Here it is. We wrote these melodies, these songs. 